Hey there, it's Dr. Nazanin Mo'oli, and I want to chat with you about a key ingredient for a fabulous date night, feeling sexy. And come on, let's be real. What you wear plays a big part in how you rock that confidence. That's why I'm thrilled to introduce you to Quince. Quince brings you premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts starting at just $30, along with washable silk tops, 40-carat gold jewelry, and more. And guess what? All of their goodies are priced 50 to 80% lower than similar brands. By teaming up directly with top factories, Quince skipped the middleman and hands us the saving. Plus, they stick to factories with safe, ethical practices and top-notch fabrics and finishes. How awesome is that? Picking from Quince's website was tough because they have a ton of fabulous choices. I ended up going for their 100% washable silk sleep dress in champagne. And let me tell you, my husband was floored. He's convinced whoever rocks this is in for a blast. I'm going to record some content on that dress so you can see how fabulous is that dress. Elevate your date night style with Quince. Pop over to quince.com slash sexology for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's quince.com slash sexology to get free shipping and 365-day returns. quince.com slash sexology. Welcome to Sexology, a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now, with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Hello and welcome to episode 333 of Sexology Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nazanin Moali. In today's episode, we have a very special guest, a renowned author and expert in bisexuality, Zachary Zane. We had Zach in our show before, but now he just launched his new book and I got a copy of the book. It's fantastic. It's a great read and I recommend you to check it out. And in this episode, we're going to talk about what inspired Zach to write their book and how did they decide on a topic. We'll also dive into the complex questions of how to better understand one's own sexuality, particularly in relation to bisexuality. Our guests will share their personal experience of the key differences between having sex with men and women as a bisexual individual. And we'll tackle the controversial topic of whether it's essential for people to come out as bisexual, even if they are in a monogamous and committed relationship. Finally, we'll discuss the use of dating apps such as Grindr as a platform for bisexual men who haven't come out as queer and explore whether it's helpful resource or pose a potential challenge. Let me tell you a little bit about Zach. You can read his full bio in the show notes. Zachary Zane is a Brooklyn-based columnist, sex expert, and activist whose work focuses on sexuality, culture, and the LGBTQ community. He's the author of Boy Slot, a memoir and manifesto, coming out on May 9th. He's also the co-author of Men's Health, Best Sex Ever. He currently has two columns, Sex Planet, 
the sex and relationship advice column at Men's Health and navigating non-monogamy as Cosmo, where he shares all the mistakes he's made in his polyamory journey so you don't have to. Also, I want to share with you guys that it's been a few months that we launched our YouTube channel. In our YouTube channel, the Handle Sexology podcast, we talk about a range of interesting and provocative issues. We put the clip of some of our podcast episodes, but majority of it, it's me answering people's questions or going through a follow-up question that people have sent us. You can find it at Sexology Podcast on YouTube. Don't forget to subscribe, turn on your notification there, and send me your question. I love answering people's questions because if you have a question, I bet there are hundreds of other people out there thinking about the same thing. All right, without further ado, here's my conversation with Zachary Zane. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I am so excited to welcome Zachary Zane. I know he's a well-known sex author, journalist. I know you you write regularly for Men's Health, Cosmo, and you just published this very exciting book. We were just talking about it, Voice Slot. So tell us more about how did you decide to write this book? Yeah. So it's a memoir. And the reason why I wrote it was just because I hadn't seen someone else write a memoir of this caliber where it is specifically focusing on a bisexual man on how to overcome sexual shame. And right now we're starting to see more LGBTQ and queer narratives. But like a lot of the memoirs I've read, for example, are like a little gay boy from the South who gets kicked out of his family for being gay and then moves to New York City and finds his chosen family. And those stories are important, of course, but they don't mirror my experience. I grew up in an actually a very sex positive household and a very queer affirming household. I had gay uncles on both sides of my family, my dad's brothers and my mom's brother. Like, so I knew it was okay to be gay, but still I had so much sexual shame and it's because sexual shame, we, we pick it up from society, from culture, from our teachers, from our friends. And just by existing in the world, you're going to soak up sexual shame. So even though I had a very, like all things considered, a really great household where I should have grown up without sexual shame, I still had so much. And that's in large part why I decided to write this story to kind of share a male bisexual perspective and to show how the sex negativity really does affect all of us, not just those who've maybe experienced severe trauma. It was fascinating read. I, I didn't expect it to be this interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps about like psychology or bisexuality, maybe some personal narrative, but I love that you've also talked about your own journey of mental health and wellness and I love mm -hmm. the therapist story. It really is so funny. So the therapist story, so it's the first chapter of the book. And I grew up with terrible OCD. And one of the ways my OCD manifested was I would like imagine people naked, maybe like eight years old. I'd imagine people naked and then I would just start crying because I felt so much guilt. And it wasn't like I wasn't imagining them naked because like in a sexual arousal type of way, I was like eight years old. I couldn't quite even understand that. It was just in a, I thought this was bad and my brain was almost playing tricks on me and imagining someone naked and I would, and then I'd feel so much guilt and shame. But yeah, so the, the first chapter of the book is about me in my therapist's office at eight years old crying because I can't stop imagining him naked. And it, it's really humorous. I, I think I write with a lot of humor, a lot of levity. I 
I feel like that's how I cope. That's how I just speak. And I, I love the fact that it's a funny book, but it, it's me. It's me kind of overcoming like, or, or it was actually me depicting kind of the first time I remember experiencing sexual shame and being like, where does this come from? I'm eight years old and I'm freaking out about this. Like, like, how is this already so ingrained in me by the time I'm eight? So that's kind of what the first chapter is about. And I think it's fascinating. You talk about like different encounters. You had with different therapists, psychiatrists, people have their own biases. So which is like, I'm sure right now, based on what I hear from colleagues, that's also very relevant. That's, that's people's experiences. And I, I, I was so envious of your family. I, I love your mom. <laughs> I love my mom, too. You know what? I love my mom, too. I really am quite lucky. Yeah, you sound like a very affirming family. But going back to what you're saying, that it seems like regardless of what family structure you have, most people experience some kind of like internalized shame because of how the overall society kind of promotes the sex negative perspectives. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing I try to do with this book is kind of be more inclusive of men in the sex positivity conversation, because right now we're really seeing this like switch in like media and online and in terms of like depictions of relationships where we're moving away from like women being like, oh, how to please your man. So now it's like how to be a boss ass bitch and how to be sexually empowered and affirmed. But men are being left out of the conversation. So if you're someone who, you know, dates men or simply plans on interacting with any man ever, like like you you need men to be a part of this. We can't be having this unilaterally. And that's really what I've seen happening. And I feel like men haven't been included because I think men in general are just less likely to, you know, seek therapy, to seek help. And there's this idea that, you know, it's very easy for men sexually. We're just like, you're horny all the time. All you want to do, you're always hard. You always have sex. You have no shame. You just want to fuck everything. And that's obviously not the case. And men experience such sexual shame and sexual insecurities. And not everyone's super horny all the time. Everyone's looking for, you know, completely different things. So, yeah, so I feel like men have just kind of not been a part of it. They've been, And now I'm really trying to include them because we can't have a sex positivity movement without including men. Everyone needs to be included in this. I appreciate that. I know when you were on our show last time, we talked about this narrative of people think about that this is a doorway to people identifying as gay. So first you identify as bisexual and then you identify as gay. But I think you sharing your perspective and life stories, I think, can be very affirming for people who have like that and those kind of beliefs. Oh, absolutely. And like when I came out as bisexual, maybe eight when I come out, 2000, I came out to my parents in 2014. So we're coming up on nine years. Like people would, no one believed me whatsoever. And like women would not date me. They assumed that I was like secretly gay and they were afraid that I would leave them for a man. And men were extremely, gay men were extremely condescending. They'd be like, oh honey, I was bi too. You'll be gay soon. You'll get there. Don't worry. And I'm like, fuck you. Like, like uh, that's absolutely ridiculous. What if I said that about you being like, oh honey, you're actually just straight. Like th they would be furious, you know? So why are you allowed to do it to me? Now, I really have seen a huge increase in bisexual visibility in the media now versus where it was like nine years ago when I started writing. When I started writing, there was like very little bisexual content. And the stuff that was out was bisexual content geared towards straight or gay people kind of proving our existence. So it was 
you know, like 10 things to never say to a bisexual person or 10 stereotypes about bisexuals that are wrong. But all of that content was not actually for bisexual people. Like it was trying to prove our existence. And so what I started doing when I started writing was like, okay, here are some of the challenges that happen when you date as a bisexual person. And here's me, a bisexual person telling you how to overcome those challenges. So I was one of the first few people to really write bisexual content for other bi people. And now we're seeing so much more. So I think we're starting to really move away from this narrative that bi people are seek or bi men specifically are secretly just gay and using it as a stepping stone and will come out as full blown gay in three months, six months, a year later. And I think a part like in addition to kind of like the better visibility and media representation, we're seeing more and more people come out as bi and then sticking with that label. And because of that, I think like that, that is huge. That really is huge. Like when I was discovering my bisexuality, like I would think I was gay, then I would think I was straight, then I think I was gay, then I was thinking I was straight. And I think some people now like will ask me like, why didn't you think you were bi? And I was like, because I did not know an openly bisexual man. They were not in media. They were, and everyone I knew in college who came out as bi, the guys came out as gay shortly after. So while I was, you know, while I am egocentric, I wasn't delusional. You know, I'm like, I can't be the only guy in the world with a sexual orientation. And it wasn't till I saw a therapist who essentially was like, you are so clearly bisexual. Like, 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 what are you missing? And I remember telling him, I said, oh, that shit doesn't exist in men. And he responded quickly. He goes, Zach, you're too smart to think that. And him kind of granting me permission allowed me to really embrace being bisexual. But yes, still people believe these stereotypes. I think fewer and fewer people do. And we're definitely moving in the right direction. And I hope my book is part of us moving in that right direction. People really believing that bisexuality is real and male bisexuality is real. And you said the absolute representation is really, really important because I think maybe even we have slightly more representation for female identify as bisexual, but for men, it's more limited. First of all, with your book, what I loved that, like you included all the root questions that people asked. I did. I, it was a really a diversion from like the rest of the formatting from the rest of the book. But like I was trying to think what's the best way to kind of tackle discussing bisexual identity. And I was like, actually, I think through this, I think through what everyone has said to me when I tell them that I'm bi and the absolutely wild and ridiculous things people have told me. Yeah, I found that part very brave. I was like, oh my God, he's putting it out there. Yeah. I curated based on those questions, but then he lists that. So if our listeners think like questions are on, I'm taking them from the book. So one of the things you talked about is like, how do people know they're bisexual? Of course, everyone's journey is very different. You know, you're talking about your own perspective, but there's a galaxy of options. People like know who have sex with other men for no different reasons, if I'm sure you know better than me at that, that front. So how do we know if it's our orientation, it's a cheek, what's happening? It's, I mean, la labels are something that you choose at the end of the day, and they can be very affirming and helpful. Like for me, I was so confused about my identity. And then when I heard this word existed and it so clearly depicted my sexual and romantic attractions, I felt very at ease and calm and felt like, okay, there are other people like me. But then certain people have, you know, labels feel very limiting to them and their reasoning because, you know, attraction is so multifaceted. And so like they're attracted to men, but only in this one capacity or only one guy. So it doesn't feel right to necessarily claim the label. So one thing I will say is, well, I'll say two things. Number one, if you are exploring your sexuality, 
I think it ironically can be helpful in the beginning to not think about a label. So when I first started hooking up with men in my freshman year of college, and I didn't come out or own the bisexual label or identity for another like five years, but I was hooking up with men for five years, which is a long period of time. But I was so focused on the label that I couldn't like even tell if I'm like actually enjoying the experience. I almost wish I went in being like, hey, I'm just going to see if I like this and then I'll figure out the labels later. But when you go in and you're in your head being like, does this make me gay? Am I bisexual? Am I enjoying that? Like, just like, you know, you start like hyperventilating or looping in your brain that like you can't even tell if you're enjoying the experience because you're so consumed about what this makes you. And it's important to remember that sexual behavior does not indicate necessarily sexual identity. I think a lot of the time it does. <laughs> you know what I mean? But like if you, let's say you're a more effeminate man who's just been teased about being gay, you, you might have a sexual attraction towards men. Try hooking up with a guy. Do it a couple times. And if you don't like it, that means you're still 100% straight. That does not make you gay or kind of gay or slightly bisexual. You are allowed to explore your sexuality and then afterwards decide what you are. And you'll kind of notice if for me, what was interesting is like, after I did it for the first time, because I was so drunk, because I was so nervous, and also I was so in my head, I was like, actually, I don't think I like this. But then I kept gravitating towards men and women as well. I was still sleeping with a gajillion woman and dating a gajillion woman in this time period, which was also slightly confusing because I knew I loved women. I knew I was attracted to women. Yet why did I get drunk and keep hooking up with dudes? That's kind of gay. You, you know what I mean? So... Yeah, I think almost time will tell a little bit. If you find yourself keep going back to men, that's probably a big indicator that you are sexually and potentially romantically attracted to men. If you try it once or twice, you're not into it, you're straight and that's okay. But you're allowed to explore your sexuality without labeling yourself or claiming an identity. That's really helpful because I know many of my clients that are earlier in this journey, they have this almost a preoccupation. Like, am I thinking about men or women during masturbation or like what, what kind of material I'm looking, trying to super analyze it. But in hearing is like you're saying that giving yourself an opportunity to explore and then you can later on maybe choose a label that would kind of resonate more. Absolutely. Well, one of the great things that you have in the book, you talk about how is it different to have sex with women and men as a bisexual men. So talk more about that. Is that different? Is it the same? It's funny. No, and this is one of the questions that I get. I think it's so interesting how people feel so comfortable asking extremely invasive questions when I tell them I'm bisexual. Oh, God. It's like, we're like, okay, well, tell me. I'm like, what if I just asked you about your sex life? Who do, do you like fucking your wife more or your mistress more? Because I see that you're clearly not with your wife right now. And I see your wedding ring and she's 30 years younger than you. Like, like, like am I going to fucking like, no, I don't call you out on your shit. But people feel very entitled to knowing personal information about me because I share I'm bisexual. And that's something I think people should be cautious of. And just like in the way that you frame the question, just be like, hey, if you feel comfortable answering this, you just don't demand a question here. But what, one thing or an answer here. But one thing I get asked a lot, yes, is... Do you like having sex or what's the difference between having sex with men and women? And, you know, obviously it's a tough question because not all women have sex the same exact way and not all men have sex the same exact way. But I think obviously men and women are conditioned differently and they speak about their understanding of sex is, you know, different than what they're told about sex is different. How to behave during sex is different. And that and I do see that when I have sex with people. It's also like important to remember that I have sex specifically with gay and bisexual men. So I think having sex with a straight man could be different. But gay and bisexual men in general feel very comfortable sharing 
they're kinks. They know exactly what they want to do. They want you to go harder. They want you to do this, that, spank them, choke them. They have a piss fetish, whatever the fuck it is. They feel much more comfortable expressing that. And I think a lot of that comes from the fact that we use like hookup apps that like women like on the grinder and stuff like that is not like Tinder at all. It literally is you say five messages, you fuck someone, they come over, they're in and out of your apartment within 15 minutes and you never see them again. Like that does not exist on Tinder. You know, it's still dates, it's still more vetting. And I think, you know, the fact that so many queer men have sent pictures of their assholes and dicks along with exactly what they're into sexually to probably no less than a thousand men in their lifetime means that they feel comfortable openly discussing sex with other queer men. So I've just noticed that the queer men I have sex with typically like know what they want and feel more comfortable asking for what they want or what they like and don't like. Versus for a lot of time for years, I was having sex with women, I'd be like, hey, what, what can I do for you or what turns you on? And they'd be like, oh, just do what you want or whatever you're doing is fine. And I want to be like, well, tell me, you know, like, you know, but I think a combination is either they're nervous to tell me or they're trying to be sub like purposely submissive because I think I like that or they don't know because they haven't really explored sexually. They've never had a man ask them that question. They might have just had, you know, had sex with a few men who just pound as hard as they can and come within four minutes. And that's been their sexual experience. So they, they don't even know what they like. But that said, of course, that's not all women. Like right now, I am part of a very sex positive, like polyamorous, kinky community living in Brooklyn, which happens to be like the polyamorous kink community of the uh, center of the world here. And the women I have sex with now know exactly what they want. They feel very empowered and confident advocating for their sexual desires. And they can be more dominant or submissive or whatever it is. They have no shame bringing out sex toys and they should not. So again, it's not like this isn't something that's like inherent or genetic. I think it's the way that we are often conditioned. And then when people have broken their conditioning and feel more sexually empowered, they're able to voice their sexual desires more and feel more confident while having sex. Well, I'm glad that you noticed this movement is it's so wild to me that like when I talk to five, even when you're having hookup sex, maybe when you are in a relationship, you're more kind of like mindful of your partner's emotion, not in a good way. But I think if you're having hookup sex, why are you taking an orgasm and just not saying what you want? Yeah, especially, yeah. I mean, regardless, you shouldn't be doing that, but especially for a, it's like, this is a hookup. Fuck. Like, I want to get off. That, that's the one fucking thing I came here for, you know, or to be feel sexually desired, to have a fun sexual experience. Of course, it's not all about orgasm, but like still orgasm is a big deal and people want to have it. And so, yeah, especially with a casual encounter, you should feel like this is an exchange. This really is an exchange of what we are doing. And I would like both of us to get what we want out of this. I don't like that like you're, you're talking about it being more socialization versus like genetic or something. Yeah. Yeah, internal. Some, some nice people frame it that way, but that's truly, I feel that it's how women get socialized. And I'm glad that it's more movement towards sex positivity. Which means because it's how we're socialized, it means it's more something that we can change. You know, I think if it was something that was more genetic, it would be more difficult to, to change. But because it is, yeah, socially constructed, like, like that is something that we can work towards, which is optimistic and good. You know what I mean? Absolutely. You know what the book you you just mentioned Grinder, and you know what they're similar. There's like similar apps like Grinder out there. And when I work with my clients, like gay clients, I hear that some of the interactions are like so direct and harsh at times. It's like very different than than Tinder in a way. It's really fucked. I love how that's my professional takeaway here. It's it really there are certain aspects of like hookup culture and Grinder culture, and it's this anonymity that kind of fuels 
people being so mean and so needlessly brutal and hurtful and and of course, like racist, transphobic, HIV phobic, fat phobic, any type of like ism or phobia you can think of, like like they will do that. And it's really sad. Like, I don't know what kind of what else to say. Like, it's really messed up when you would think people who have experienced discrimination and hardships would be a little bit kinder to other people as well. But people are just not like, like it, it really is revealed how in a sense, how many issues there are within the queer community. And a lot of it comes, of course, like these men who are being mean and nasty, they're not happy men. You know what I mean? Like they're, it's not like these are like fulfilled men. And I know there's like a cliche phrase where it's like hurt people, hurt people. And I think that's what's going on. And, you know, like without being corny, like I do try to advocate for kindness in this book and being like, just because you don't want to fuck someone doesn't mean you have to be an asshole. You could just be like, hey, super cute, just not interested. Let's you go, go over to a guy's place and they do not look like their photos and you don't want to hook up with them. Of course, you don't have to hook up with them, but you also don't have to slam the door in his face. You can be like, hey, you know what? I'm actually just not feeling this as much as I should. I'm so sorry about that. I'm going to head out. Of course, the man will still be rejected. He'll still feel not good because he was rejected, but you can be rejected like that as opposed to being rejected to someone just opening the door and be like, no. Like, come on, like, like, just have like a little bit of human decency. But it's, yeah, there's a lot of like racism and fetishization and just shaming on the apps, which really is sad. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. Of course, you, as you said, like it could be an exchange and you might not be into someone, but you can approach the kind of the person with the integrity. That's important. Approach it with integrity or like you don't even have to respond. You know, it's like the, the norm is not responding. So if someone says like, hey, what's up? And you're not interested, you just don't respond. Like, like it's actually socially acceptable to not do that. Like instead of responding with something negative, you, you know, like you, you, your mother had it right. If you got nothing nice to say, don't say anything at all. It really is that phrase come to life here. Absolutely. And again, it's important to kind of be direct about what you want, what you're into and not. But again, thinking about like approaching people as as human and also is important. Yeah, I always kind of like to say if this is not something you would feel comfortable saying to them in real life, you should not be saying it over grinder or text or whatever it is. Like, is this something you would say point blank to their face? I doubt it. So then don't say it online. Yeah. So then don't say it online, period. So and when I think about kind of like people who are unkind. And I hear a lot of experiences on Grindr that people have those infractions. What do you think is about those apps that makes people more comfortable with the fact that you're anonymous in a way, you can have like state profiles? What, what is about that interaction that can at times dehumanize the person? I think it, uh, the anonymity is a huge factor. I think it's also more socially acceptable. You know what I mean? This has become the culture that people are just saying this and doing this and so if everyone else is doing this, you don't feel like the asshole for doing it. And also when this is something like this has happened to you repeatedly, a lot of men respond by then doing that to other people. So I think it's almost just like become this kind of cesspool in a sense that really enables people. So a combination of anonymity, the fact that it's a norm, the fact that it's happened to them and therefore what's well, happened to me. So I'm just going to do it to other people. Yeah, I think those are some of the factors there. I also think there's something we said that people feel they, they kind of use the veil of like, oh, like I'm being honest uh, as opposed to like I'm being cruel. And they're like, well, it's it's sexual attraction. I'm allowed to have preferences. 
yeah, you are allowed to have preferences, but still that doesn't mean you have to be an asshole. So I think it's like under this veil of sexual attraction, they feel very empowered to be like, well, this is just what I'm attracted to. I'm allowed to say whatever I want, which is just not the case. I want to add something to what you said that's really important. And then we can talk about working people find hookups. But what I think also it's important for people, any marginalized people to keep in mind that you might have internalized some of the trauma experiences you have, and then you might engage in trauma or enactment or at times show up in a way that's not, that's not congruent with who you are. So I think that's also my part of that. There's a really like famous book about this called The Velvet Rage by Alan Downs. And it really shows exactly this, like why him after working with like hundreds of gay patients kind of explaining how, you know, because of the trauma that we experience, we often then respond less than kind to other people. But like really that tackles all of this. And I read it years ago. It's worth a reread. But I remember I have an annotated copy somewhere because I was like, oh, my God, there's so much here. So I should just go over my annotations. And the Velvet Rage really speaks to all of this. And it's something worth picking up. So fantastic. I'll I'll definitely check it out myself. Because it's going to be so fascinating to learn more about these things and the impact of trauma and how we do relationships. So going back to the where can people go, what are some of your favorite places where that you recommend to bisexual men? It's tough. You know, there aren't as many specifically for like sex clubs or just anything. I know what's kind of good in New York City because that's where that's where I am. But the short answer is there are not that many spaces that are like like really like a lot of the queer spaces really tend to end up being like either it's like a, a gay male space, which is just gay and men. And that's a lot of fun, but it's not bisexual. That's not a place you can bring your girlfriend and then also hook up with a dude if you're in an open relationship. And then a lot of like the queer sex parties I've noticed have women that hook up with other women and then women that hook up with men, but not really other men that hook up with other men in those spaces as well. So I actually threw this party called Buy Slut. It, everything's on brand here. Boy Slut, Buy Slut. And that really was a party that was focused towards bisexual men and their admirers is the way that I framed it. And like, it was one of the few sex parties, like the only sex party actually at like a major place that actually had like men hooking up with men, women hooking up with women, men hooking up with women, people, a lot of non-binary people, a lot of trans people, just fe- people feeling very empowered. And like, that was a very cool experience. But again, that didn't actually answer your question. But I think the truth is it's kind of challenging. It's it's really hard. I think there are some fun queer spaces and just getting a sense of the sex clubs in your area. Often like going on like field or fat life are kind of fun ways to like meet other kinky people, other bisexual people, other polyamorous people. And then through them, they'll kind of introduce you to the community. So I say often what happens when people are like, I've been trying to like meet other bi and poly people. What, what ends up happening is you can't meet, you struggle to find bi and poly people for like a year and a half. Then you meet this one guy or this couple who's like, oh, you're awesome. Let me introduce you to my friends. And then a month later, you have 50 bi poly people. So like it, it just goes exponentially, but it can be tough to find. I really think using fat life and using field are kind of two of the best ways to really start connecting with other bisexual, polyamorous, king positive, sex positive people, and then going to the events that they have. So it's being required at some level of discovery. It seems like it's a little bit of an inner society. It kind of is. And I think a part of it has to do with these these spaces are often exclusive because of like safety issues. You know, you don't want to get those traditional 
creepy straight dudes who are just like sexually assaulting women in the space for lack of better words. So like they, they do purposely try to keep it a little exclusionary. And the purpose of that is for safety, right? Because like you're doing a lot of the fun and wild things in the space and you want to make sure everyone's comfortable. That makes sense. And I think that going back to what you're talking about, about different vibe of different parties, like there are, of course, there are some rules that people know, but how do we know what is the right etiquette for each party? Really, hopefully the party should inform you that that is the party's responsibility. And a lot of the sex parties I go to now, they will have things where it's like before you even attend a party, you have to attend a consent workshop. Uh, so teach you about enthusiastic consent and being like, like uh, anything besides a fuck yes is a fuck no, what they say. But you have to ask before you touch, before you kiss, before you do anything. You do not put your hand on someone's butt. You, you have to ask and get an enthusiastic yes. And if someone says any any hesitation, any maybe, you just go, oh, thanks for letting me know. If you'd like to play later, please come in and find me. So it's not like they said maybe. And then 10 minutes later, you go back up and be like, oh, are you ready now? It's like, no, if they said maybe, that means no, unless if they come back up to you. But I think always, obviously, always err on the side of caution. You know, always ask before you can touch. Always be friendly. Don't assume that because you go to a sex party, you're going to get laid or it's guaranteed to have sex. That's absolutely not the case. People, of course, still have sexual autonomy and the right to say no anywhere. And well, again, one of those things like it, it kind of takes time. Like there are sex spaces where I go to the first few times. I don't really hook up with people. I meet someone and then they introduce me to their friends. And before you know it, I'm in the middle of a 50 person orgy, like, like whatever it is. But yeah, these things take time and building relationships and having emotional and great connections with people. Well, I, I love that you're saying that, but I think it can, consent is really important. And sometimes people have this misinformation. People are not in the community about what it looks like, what what is customary, what is the etiquette. So I think it's it's good to know that there's level up kind of level up how people get informed and information out there. And the different note, I know in the book you were talking about bisexual men that are married, but with a, with a woman and they're in a monogamous relationship. Do you think it, does it have a value for them to come out as bisexual? How, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, and this is for regardless of man or woman. If you're by woman married to a man or by man married to a woman, so in a seemingly straight, quote unquote, relationship. Yes. I mean, of course, of course, you are allowed to not come out or come out. Of course, I'm not trying to pressure anyone into coming out. However, if you feel comfortable do so, to do so, I think there are a couple reasons why. The first one is on a more like personal level. Like I actually think it can really strengthen your relationship. If you feel like you're hiding this aspect of your identity from your partner, wouldn't you want to be your fullest self, your most authentic self for them to love and know all of you? I really think it could strengthen your relationship instead of you feeling like you're hiding a part of who you are for this person you care about. Let's say they know you're bisexual, but the rest of the world does not. Again, it's I think it's really helpful for the larger bisexual community. You know, like one of the issues is a lot of bi people do not feel comfortable coming out. And that's because they don't know any other bi people. So by you being like, oh, I'm bisexual and married to a man, which is how that works. If like bisexuality, you might be married to a man, you might be married to a woman. Like that's kind of the whole fucking thing. Like if that's the case, I really do think it like helps the community and without sounding cliche or corny, really helps the world. I think you really are doing a mitzvah like by coming out and being a member of this community and encouraging others to do so. Because still right now, 
there is a dearth of bisexual visibility. Yes, it is getting better. And I really hope I'm filling in some of the gaps here with my book, which I'm holding up. I realize you can't see on the podcast, but I really do think it will help and change the lives of other people who don't know. And you, you don't even know the lives that you are touching by just saying that to your friends, to your family, to random people that you meet. And I really think it will help strengthen the larger bi community. Oh, absolutely. We need more people like you before we connected. I was like doing research for my client to kind of like get connected with resources and all of these random Reddit. People say, oh, have you read Zachary Zane's content? Love it. I'm on Reddit. I love to hear that. So you're a huge, even you as one person kind of sharing your story, like making huge difference. I can imagine there are tons of people that they can do that advocacy work as well. It like the number of times, and I get a lot of hate and flack for what I do, of course, like we all do as sex educators or people in the space, but still I get like once or twice a week, someone reaching out being like, I felt so alone. I, until I read your work and it really resonated with me and now I've embraced being bisexual. I've had people tell me I saved their marriages because they were lying to their wives and then they came out. People who said I'm no longer suicidal because like, yeah, because again, like Bisexual people in general, we have all these worse mental and physical health outcomes, and it's because we do not feel like we have community. We feel ostracized by gay people. We feel ostracized by straight people. We don't know where to find other bi people. We feel like our our identity is not valid or respected and so misunderstood. There's a lot of preconceived and negative misconceptions about bisexuality. So it's just really, really important. And like, yes, it saves lives when you share your story. Like, I really do believe that. And that's why I think it's so powerful that even if you're in a monogamous relationship and married and know you're never going to cheat or leave on your husband, to still embrace this identity because you don't know who you could be helping. Well, I think on the note of bringing more visibility, I want to know who do you recommend the book to? I mean, I as a heterosexual woman, I love that. I went through painstaking efforts to make sure this is not a bisexual book. This is not a polyamorous book. This is not just for men. I really, really was inclusive in writing this. So it is for straight gay bisexual people. It's for people of all genders. And the reason why is because sexual shame is universal. You know, it doesn't just affect one of us or one. Yeah, obviously, maybe it influences different groups differently, but it does affect all of us. And I think, of course, in particular, people questioning their sexuality, people who have shame for their sexuality or for their kinks or are struggling with being monogamous and are curious about open relationships. I definitely think that they will maybe learn the most from this or might be the most helpful. But even if that's not you, it's good to know about these things. And you might I feel like it might be more you than you realize. And I think that's one of the feedback I've been getting where they're like, yeah, I didn't really I wasn't sure as someone who's more vanilla than straight, I wasn't sure if this book was for me, but I actually started to question some of my beliefs in a way that I was not expecting. So I really do believe that anyone can read this and gain something from it. Where can people find it? Anywhere books are sold. So you can buy it on Amazon, you can buy it on Bookshop, you can buy it at bookstores, Google Boy Slut, a memoir, it will come up. It comes out May 9th. I, I think this recording might be a few days beforehand, so feel free to pre-order it right now. Anywhere books are sold and do me a favor and please buy five to 50,000 copies. That would be really beneficial for me and put me on a New York Times bestseller list. So thank, thank you all in advance. <laughs> well, I, I personally love the book. Thank you. Well written, entertaining, engaging, but also educational. It's definitely helpful for everyone listening to get a coffee, buy it. And for people who are interested to learn more about you, because I know you do lots of writing, education. 
most part of the time. I do. I, I do it all. Yeah, I mean, my Twitter and Instagram are Zachary Zane underscore. I'm definitely more active on Instagram than Twitter because I'm trying to spare my mental health a little bit. My website is ZacharyZane.com. All my information is there. I also have, and this is different than the book, but I have a nonfiction erotica zine. And it's also called Boy Sluts. But the content there is different than the content of the book. The content of the zine is just like raunchy fucking sex stories that happen to me and other people. Like they're real stories that happen and we write it up and it's just fun. And there's always some like overarching message of like something I learned about myself or something that speaks to like sex and society or the intersection of sex and tech, whatever it is. But if you type in like Boy Slut zine, that will come up there. But yeah, I'm all over the internet. I'm sure you'll be able to she will find me here. Well, thank you so much for your time. I recommend, I recommend everyone to get the copy. Of your- thank you. Please do. Please, please do. I I'm so I'm so glad you liked it. Hopefully, we will have you back in future for next book. Yeah, manslot. No, let's see what that is. Yeah, awesome. Hi there. Bye. Before I wrap up, I want to address a serious issue that many bisexual clients of mine are facing when considering coming out. Sadly, bisexual individuals face a higher risk of hate crimes and discrimination compared to their gay and lesbian counterparts. According to a study conducted by the National Coalition of Anti-Violence Program, 21% of all hate crimes based on sexual orientation in 2018 were targeted toward bisexual individuals. This stat highlights the ongoing stigma and prejudice that bisexual individuals face when it comes to disclosing their sexuality. I want to remind you that coming out is a personal decision and it's important to prioritize your safety and well-being. We talk about how we hope we live in a world that people can own their identity, being comfortable about who they are, but again, we understand that this can be a journey and not all communities is safe for people to come out. Make sure you are reading, getting and reading Zach's book if you're interested in this topic. It was a fantastic read. And I also want to remind you that we are hiring. So if you are a licensed therapist in California, looking for part-time or full-time job, contact us. Either email me or apply through the link below. We're interested to hire a diverse team for our growing group practice. We're looking for clinicians with diverse background who are interested in working with clients who are struggling with eating disorders, which is a specialty of mine, OCD, which is a specialty of my colleague that's co-owner of the practice, and anxiety. I would love to hear from you if you are interested. All right. Thank you so much for tuning into Sexology Podcast and I'll catch you in the next one. Thanks for listening to Sexology Podcast. For more great content, visit www.sexologypodcast.com. Please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider.